Welcome to The Founder's Mind, a podcast powered by the Kadar Group. On this episode, we have Kate Goodall, co-founder and CEO of Halcyon. Take a listen as Kate shares about her journey in growing Halcyon. Kate, thank you for joining me. Yeah. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. This is fun. On the show. Uh, And I think a great starting point and, and where I tend to start most of the conversations is just you know, for the listeners, a little bit. What is Halcyon? What what what's going on here? What are yeah. you working on? Yeah, no. So Halcyon is a place that provides uh, space, community, and access to talented social entrepreneurs and civic-minded artists from around the world. Bit of a mouthful, and um, really, what that breaks down to is we are very interested in really making impactful social environmental change as we are all feeling out this 21st century and the depth and complexity of all of the problems we know are there um, and trying to come up with some scalable ways to address some of those problems. And and certainly, you know, we see um, business as a way to quickly address some of those problems given its its ability to scale quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what really drew us to social entrepreneurs in terms of uh, hoping to be able to move the needle on some of these things. Um, and artists, because if you look at, you know, any major historical movement, art is there somewhere, right? The, um, the way that camera brought attention to the horrors of war, the way that like Arnie Riefenstahl was deployed by Hitler to make documentary film and propaganda, the way that, um, you know, you could really get, look at um, Picasso's Guernica. I mean, there's just really so much that you can point to in terms of the way that art plays a role in changing, changing the world as well. So we're trying to find interesting creators who can take a concept from nothing to something and hopefully we can um, help them either do that more effectively or faster or better Um, so they come here and they live with us the entrepreneurs get five months in this place um, and the artists actually get nine months down the street Um, we give them money they'll get a, a stipend some of them use it for ramen noodles and some of them put it into their company. Um, They get lawyers, they get uh, Deloitte business advisors, they get leadership coaches, Um, you know, pretty much everything that you would need to uh, start an early stage business and, and really sort of by the end of being here, know, you know, at least how you're going to be making revenue or who have improved your business model and be making more revenue, you know, just going up that next next rung of the ladder. That's amazing. Yeah. They get it's a super lot. fun. And I get to hang out with 16 of the world's most exciting social entrepreneurs and nine of the world's best, or eight of the world's best artists every year. That's like my job. That's pretty legit. I know. <laughs> I would be protecting that job yeah. very keenly. Yeah, no, I love it. <laughs> I love it. What, so you're the founder of Halcyon? Co-founder. Co-founder. Yeah. So my co-founder is in her own right an incredible biotech entrepreneur. Uh She was the first woman to graduate from Kyoto University with a degree in biochemistry. Uh Her name's Dr. Sachiko Kuno. Um, And she, you know, uh, has started and successfully exited a couple of biotech companies. Uh With some of that money, she purchased Halcyon House in 2011. And the building. The building. Okay. Um, it started life at, uh, in 1787 as Benjamin Stoddard's house. He was the first secretary of the Navy. Mm-hmm. So I took got, a picture of the plaque outside. Yes, you know all about it. Very <laughs> revolutionary roots, and, and we feel like we're upholding those. Um, 
So uh, she bought it in 2011 and she knew she didn't want to create a dusty historic house mausoleum. It was too big for her to live in. She decided she was going to turn it over to young innovators to have time and space. And that's when she and I met and we started to explore like, okay, but what does that mean? And how can that be really effective? And what would we build around that as a methodology? Mm -hmm. So then we started to talk to people in the space. And by that, I mean really broadly, certainly foundations, the State Department, uh, the UN, um, but also, you know, successful social entrepreneurs, Echoing Green, Ashoka, um, and really with the objective of learning what was already out there, what was working, what hadn't worked, that was always really useful information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe what people weren't doing yet, where they thought we could fill a gap and differentiate, be useful, not, you know, replicative. Um, and from that came this idea of like, okay, we'll be the crazy ones that create a dorm for, yeah. you know, risk takers. Do you know what it's like to run a dorm for risk takers? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure a lot of RAs have their own take on what that is. It is, but it's, it's a slightly crazy. different. Crazy, yeah. like by nature, artists and entrepreneurs are rule breakers and risk takers. Yeah, um, they're so wonderful and so creative. But yeah, it's 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 uh, it's always fun. So I'm always interested in this, and I think this is kind of the ethos of the show. Is there's there was this transaction that happened, purchased the house. Yep. And was it already an idea, or it was like I'm buying this house? And I'm not sure what it's going to be. And then you were part of the conversation. Like how- she, she definitely knew for sure that she, because she has a big belief in time and space, mm-hmm. that everyone needs um, uh, both both um, physical space and ideally inspirational space, but um, but more time than any of us really get. You know, like what does it look like when you take all of the stress and the burdens off someone and give them actual headspace and like real time like dawn till dusk to to think and that's that part she knew right she Mm. knew she wanted to use this building for that but we didn't have any of the framework around it like we didn't um we didn't uh know that Deloitte would be interested in working with us and Arnold Porter would be interested in working with us and we didn't know what the ideal time frame would be or how we would select these people or what we'd be selecting for all of that we sort of um pulled together afterwards um met the incredible Ryan Ross who um jumped in and really really formatted what the selections and applications would look like yeah um and then uh you know so that was for the incubator we launched that in September 2014 to 2011 2014 was just like envisioning Thinking. yeah really yeah. truly um which is interesting the the, the the sort of the 3 year mark that rhythm mm. i feel like isn't uncommon for ideas like it takes oh, really? it just takes time to lift something off the ground it's so funny you say that because uh, we launched Halcyon as its own nonprofit, yeah. um, which is you know comprises the incubator, the arts lab, and a, a, by the People Festival in 2017. Uh-huh. So three years yeah. after you know the incubator uh, formed, you know that also happened. So you might be onto something. Yeah, there. no, I just find it interesting with even with building the communities that I'm in and the work that I'm doing. And when you talk to people, I I know a handful of people in the restaurant space. It, generally, it takes time before things are really rolling, and whether it's that idea to launch or it's idea to launch to, oh, this is actually going to last. Yeah. You know? No, I think, um, you know, a lot of my projects follow a three-year timeline. In fact, I've even used it to explain how the project will um, 
uh, evolve. For example, the festival that we just started, the By the People Festival, when I was trying to convince partners to come on board with us and, and um, be part of this, you know, thing that no one was sure if it would actually succeed or, yeah. um, you know, I would always say, listen, year one, inaugural year, you know, it's going to be great, but we're going to make all the mistakes. Yeah. Right. And then every mistake. Every mistake you can make. And, and but we're not going to be stupid. We're going to learn from those. And year two is the tidying up year. Right. And I think this might be part of the evolution that, sure. that everyone goes through. Year two, we will register what those mistakes were. We will fix the ones that we can. We'll eliminate the things that didn't work. We'll improve, you know, all of that year two refining stuff. Yeah. And then year three through five, that's growth. Right. So it's, and I think that that's, it's very similar, certainly to yeah, yeah. a lot of the enterprises that we see come through here is like, you know, okay, they've got a great idea. They test it, they refine it, they sort of pilot it, launch their beta. You know, once they realize they've got sort of a, you know, um, something that, you know, is, has these external market validation signals, then they can really sort of, you know, go out there and hopefully get some revenue and then you go after investment. And, and it's it's a very similar process of iteration and, and, and then hopefully explosion. Yeah, the, the goal. Yeah. The, a little bit of the a hockey dream. stick. The dream. It's funny though, everyone always sort of like, is is angling for that and at the same time worrying about what happens if there's never the demand very few people actually prepare for what they're going to do if they get that sudden demand yeah it's actually it's i'm so glad that you brought that up because i've had conversations with people where people don't prepare for being successful yes they, they're they doing want their it work, so badly they're growing they're, they're it's almost like they don't actually believe it'll happen so they don't actually prepare for it but yeah. if you're not prepared for how you take you know, five widgets a day to 500 widgets a yeah. day. It's as big a mistake as, you know, uh, thinking, making 500 widgets a day and only selling five, if not bigger. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's funny, artists have the same problem. You'd never think about it, right? Like the corollaries between two very different fields. But um, let's look at like Amy Sherald, right? Who did the wonderful portrait of Michelle Obama, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So she was you know, producing her work and then she made that and then everyone wants an Amy Sherald. Yeah. What does she do? Does she churn out a bunch of work and try and take advantage of all of the interest um, and possibly like take less money for each of her pieces than she could? Or does she sort of, you know, and that's when you either need a really great agent or you need to have some business savvy. A lot of artists don't. Yeah. But they, they it's, you wouldn't think of entrepreneurs and artists having to deal with the same sort of things, but they, they absolutely do. No, that's a really interesting uh I think that's a really interesting point. And there is this, there is a balance of being sort of the performer, being in performance mode, mm -hmm. but then also thinking about it from a sort of like zooming out yeah. and looking at what you're working on. And that prep, one of the things that I talk about or I've been talking about more is this idea of scaling yourself. You know, people prepare to scale their companies, but they don't prepare to scale themselves alongside because mm -hmm. your company requires more from you as it grows, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And to your point with artists, like every everything requires more from you if what you're working on grows. You know, whether it's an audience, whether it's, you know, a, a, like a customer. So it's, it is very interesting and it takes yeah. a lot. Hi all, quick break to tell you about the Founders Mind Plus. It's all the interviews of guests you love, plus bonus episodes with additional stories and anecdotes, shout outs and future episodes of founding funders that could be you, and opportunities to get some cool swag from the show. You can upgrade by following the link in the show notes or go to thefoundersmind.com backslash plus. Thanks for following along. Back to the show. So 
kind of coming back to Halcyon yes. and cultivating this community of founders and artists, what, and this is year eight? We're entering into year, um, oh, no, four, 2014. This is year yeah, five. It's yeah, it's year four in practice. We're just yeah. about to have our 10th cohort. So by June, we'll technically be through like year five. But Halcyon, the 501c3, has only been around um, for two years. Okay. So, you, but you work with a lot of founders. Yes. And you've had this year, like you said, you're, we'll have completed your 10th cohort this year. Yes. What are, what's a piece of advice out there? You've got, we have founders that listen. We might have aspiring founders. We might have people that work in an office that, you know, are looking to learn a little something. What's a piece of advice that you received in this journey with Halcyon that you found very impactful for you? Um, you know, it's funny that you were just talking about blind spots because I think that, um, you know, certainly for me, uh, you know, we we grew this thing quite quite quickly over, if you really look at it, you know, I think in, in 2013, it was basically me and my co-founder and then, um, you know, now in 2018, we've got 15 people and I've got a board of 22 um that's a big board it is a big board they're fantastic it's actually a board of nine and then an honorary board of um you know more 11 um but uh you know i think that i've had to learn about myself in order to keep pace with the evolution and the growth of a company in mm-hmm. exactly the way that we've been talking about um you know, which means that you have to then look at some of the things about yourself that you don't particularly want to acknowledge and mm. the faster that you can get through the process of first being in denial of blind spots and then actually acknowledging, oh, okay, actually I'm really not great at, you know, financial spreadsheets, um, you know, the better then you can move on, move and quickly address them and make the changes that are for the best of the organization. One thing I always do when I'm like stuck on a, decision you know particularly you know around personnel where you get there's feelings involved from both sides and things like that I always come down to the okay what is best for Halcyon mm-hmm. right not me mm-hmm. not this other person what's best for Halcyon right now either our internal culture our potential future growth our public perception like what's the right decision from that those vantage points so that's always i think a useful thing to remember is to like frame things in the context of the organization to get outside of yourself um and definitely like address your blind spots with you know by hiring other people yeah. <laughs> that can do them i recently uh, hired a cfo because my oh, blind spot um I'll share it openly because I've gone through that psychological work um, <laughs> is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm great at bringing in money mm-hmm. and like, you know, sort of like bringing people around a cause. Um, and I, I like to think I'm pretty good at, at implementing a, a positive culture. Um, it's a pretty happy place to work. But uh, I am, while I'm interested uh, in the financial health of Halcyon from a sustainability standpoint and being very responsible about people's donations and like, you know, leaving behind a healthy organization with good reserves and, you know, no no loans and all of that stuff. I'm very interested in that. I am not, I'm just not the best person in the world to like do the kind of strategic financial projecting that yeah, is yeah. required at this level, right? I could do it when it was, you know, three of us, but sure. I, 
I can't do it now. Yeah, and it's a, diff- it's a so different situation. It, it, it is. So, you know, we just went through the whole process of like, you know, hiring a CFO and now we're, now we're in and now we're in it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they are guiding me and I am leaning on them heavily. It's great. So how did you, I think that's, I think that's great. I mean, I think identifying your blind spots and being aware of them and whether you can fill that blind spot with someone else or you just acknowledge that that's there and you can work with it yeah. instead of ignoring it. Yeah. How do you, do you have a way that you highlight your, those blind spots? How do you discover them? Mm. Do people bring them up for you? I mean, what did you do or do you do? I think it's a combination. Sometimes people bring them to my attention. You know, like I said, sometimes I listen right away and sometimes it takes a second person or the same person coming to me twice. Um, but I do, I really do try to, to sort of like, you know, hear. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, that practice of like being alone with yourself and your dark side and your light side and really kind of trying to know, you know, ahead of yourself what, what it is you're going to need to address. Mm-hmm. There's the... Um, is a really useful thing actually that you probably know um but maybe some of the listeners don't um the whole process of uh thought feeling um action outcome mm-hmm. um and i i definitely believe that this this is true whatever dominates your thoughts are going to be the you know how it's going to dominate how you feel and it that feeling will basically cause you to act in a certain way mm-hmm. and potentially in certain situations um and that will derive your outcomes yeah and so if you work backwards if you're getting an outcome potentially consistently that you don't like like maybe again let's use a, a human resources example like maybe there's one team member that like you know you they're just not like rising to their full potential or something and but yet your conversations with them haven't been successful, right? Let's say that's the outcome you want to change. Then stepping back through that and thinking, okay, well, what actions am I taking when I'm with them? What does that look like? Really examining it. Um, and sometimes it helps to go back further. Like, what's my feeling when I enter a conversation with them? Yeah. What might I be projecting? Yeah. What, where is that taking me? How is that making me act? Like, maybe I'm, I don't think that they can do it. And therefore, maybe I'm saying things that, like you know, aren't encouraging or whatever it ends up being. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I swear you can always trace it back to like that original thought of like, oh, maybe I think I'm not great at budgets and therefore I feel ashamed and scared of approaching them and therefore I avoid them and therefore the outcome's shit. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So it's, uh, I just find it very, very helpful to constantly be tracing back from outcomes that I'm not thrilled about. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, sense. you don't have to work with me as a as a coach if you're listening. You just listen <laughs> to that one segment, and Kate just reverse engineered, you know, pretty much the essential coaching coaching focus. <laughs> what are the outcomes and results you're getting and working backwards? It's great. I love it. No, it's really good. I and I agree. Yeah, no, I hold that pretty pretty to heart all but, the time. And I actually think it's really interesting when you talk about it and when you think about it from a just from a theoretical standpoint. It's very simple. Yeah. Like, that's not complicated. But you can even said. forget it on a daily basis. You can forget it. Yeah. You know, and it is uncomfortable to do that work. 100%. You know what I mean? Every time. You don't, it doesn't get easier yeah, as I, you get older. I always find it interesting, and I have a mixed relationship with working out, but, like, people that work out a lot or focus on their body a lot, 
but have some still have issues sort of on that the like on that psychological like how they work through their day mm-hmm. there's always that direct connection for me you go and like you work your muscles till they burn you know and then you rest mm-hmm. and then you do the same thing the next day and then they rest and you do it for a long you know like maybe your whole life it's the same thing with some of these these frameworks yeah but we don't you know we have trouble challenging ourselves to say this is going to be it might be uncomfortable it might be awkward you know i might it might change the the status of relationships that I have with but people. But the more you practice it, I think the more innate oh, yeah. it, it becomes. It's right? a bit, it becomes a habit, hopefully. Yes, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, the goal. Um, who's a founder that you admire and why? Mm. I know you work with a lot of awesome founders. Yeah, so just I, can't, I admire up. so many of our, our fellows, um, but I do sort of feel like it might be like uncool of me to call just one of them out. You could do, like you can do someone out, you can child. do someone outside of the group. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not suggesting pick your favorite child that, you know, no, I, I, although we know it's the one that plays guitar and doesn't want to be loved just for their guitar <laughs> skills. Uh, we actually have a series here called Fast Forward, which is Marla Beck interviewing incredible visionary female founders. Yeah, Nick was just telling me about Almost it. every one of them I admire greatly, yeah, yeah. and including Marla herself. Yeah. She just uh, We just concluded the last series with an interview with Sheila Johnson. Okay. Uh, it was fascinating. I mean, she really, she just talked about, you know, by virtue of sort of being of mixed race, she found herself stuck in two worlds. She wasn't accepted by either world. Yes. And then also all of the the challenges that she went through every time she started a business, yeah. you know, and, and, and the, the people that around her that doubted that she had yeah. to ignore. And it was a really impactful, I definitely admire her. I admire my co-founder, Dr. Kuna very much. She's yeah. taught me an awful lot. Um, she's taught me, I used to be um, uh, stubborn to a fault. Mm-hmm. I think I've honed that a little bit more tightly now. And, it, um, you know, I think, the, the flip side of stubbornness is persistence. Right? Yeah. You're just going to drive forward, and there's good stuff about that. But sometimes it does mean that you will find yourself uh, climbing a mountain. Her big analogy is knowing where you're going and climb a mountain. And I would hit a big boulder and just keep pushing against the boulder when all I should be doing is taking a step back so that I can see a different pathway around yeah. the boulder, right? And That's she really analogy. taught me how to, like look for different paths instead of continuing to bang my head on the same immovable object, mm-hmm. um, which is a really useful tool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of books. <laughs> some, so, of some, some of them are gifts. Yeah, some I see like gifts. some designs, some really... We've got, we've got Kentucky bourbon whiskey, Some really fancy looking coffee table designed books. for good, yes. <laughs> are you reading anything right now besides the picture books? I wish I had time to read. I, you know what? Is my, um, the thing that I read the most frequently is the New Yorker magazine. My mom bought me a subscription okay. and I, I relish that. Yeah. I have a thousand books yeah. sitting on my bedside table that are not getting read So right it's not now. just me. Yeah, thank God, please. Okay, thank good. You. Yeah, I mean, I have a you've bookshelf. got a six-week old, so you've really got an excuse. But even before that, it's a running <laughs> joke. Like whenever we, whenever we purge things in my house, uh, my wife is always looking at all the books that I have that I haven't read. She reads; she's an avid reader, and I always defend the books and say, "We, we can we keep them? Maybe I'll read them. Uh, maybe they're aspirational. I don't know." Yeah, articles is is about I do what read I a can lot. handle. I, I do read a lot you know, of articles. It's, it's I can fit one in in between like work tasks and yes, that's okay. I okay, can do that. Okay, good. No, we both just we both validated each other. Okay, good. Exactly. That's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Worth it. Um, what is something that you learned recently that blew your mind? 
Okay, this is gonna it's, it's gonna sound obnoxious. Like literally, I don't even know how to make this not sound obnoxious. It's like hanging out with the Dalai Lama. Um, <laughs> no, I really was. I went I went to Dharamshala and I was part of a contingent. To, to we went and hung out with the Dalai Lama and we had a long conversation with him about um, compassion and how to generate more compa- compassion in the world. And he. Um, Someone asked him how you have, uh, how you stay um, warm, like warm-hearted mm-hmm. to people, particularly who uh, may not have your best interests at heart, or may, you know, have shown malice, or you know, you just really don't get along with or see eye to eye with. How do you stay open and compassionate to those people? You know, what, to what degree do you protect yourself and those around you from negative people? Um, and he said something really interesting that in the Tibetan culture, they're really, he, they, his translator talked to him for a long time so they could figure this one out because he was like, what does he mean warm-hearted, mm-hmm. warm, heart warm, warm-hearted? Uh, he said, there's no, there's no corollary word for warm-hearted. It doesn't exist. We don't think about... Um, people in the um in a way that uh involves our body mm-hmm. he said the thinking in tibet is warmth of mind like you have um you make sure that your um thoughts about those people are as kind and generous as they can be so like a, a generous mind or a generous spirit and and that reframing yeah was so sort of explosive for me. And I'm really, you know, and, and it's funny how sort of like, again, just switching how you think, uh, can it can even change how you present your body to someone. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, they could have just misconstrued you and you just started a whole new cycle for that relationship. You know, it's just really... Um, so, yeah, that was probably the most mind-blowing thing. Plus just meeting the freaking Dalai Lama. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm tangentially, amazing. I am, my mind is blown. I'm like, <laughs> one degree, two degrees of separation, perfect. He is, he is so incredible, yeah. Everything everyone says about him, about, like, his yeah. aura. Yeah. It feels like he just changed the thermostat when he walks in the room. I mean, it's really incredible. I've, uh... I mean, I've seen him speak a couple times when he's come through D.C. Yep. It was a while, a while ago. He's 82. They said he can't travel anymore, which is quite sad. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, that's one of the things that you just mentioned, though, this idea of reframing. And I think this is one of the things that I love about coaching work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not in the work that I do. I'm not, I'm, I don't show up to tell people what they should be doing or how they should be doing things. I'm not a consultant. I'm not here to hand down a solution. And in the conversations... Being able to ask a question or introduce something for someone to think about in a different way, and then it changes something because mm-hmm. it's through dialogue. Mm-hmm. For me, is one of the coolest things about coaching, and it happens outside of the coaching world, like you just shared. And when you're talking to someone and they make you think about something differently, it can happen all over. But that's for me the essence of coaching is let's just look at something differently or think about it differently. And what does that do for you, the, the performer or the you know as yeah. a client? What yeah, do you yeah. want to do with that? Um, so that's, that's really cool. Um, and it's, I think it's important to preface the way you, the way you said, it, I liked it. I don't know how to say this without it being obnoxious. Oh, it sounds so obnoxious, doesn't it? It's just yeah, like, you know, like Owen when, when I Zoolander. go on my private chat. <laughs> um, what is something, and there's a lot of things, but what's the one thing that, that comes to your mind right now that the world could really use? 
Oh, wow. Gosh. Um, Maybe a big crisis just to really get us to get out of, um, and you could argue we just had one with the government shutdown, but I I worry that it's going to take something even bigger because I just think that there are so many looming things that um, we are not able to act on quickly enough as individuals Mm -hmm. that it's going to need massive systemic change. And that systemic change will only come when there is enough of a crisis. Otherwise, people are just too comfortable still. You're saying we need a bigger kick in the butt. I worry that we do, unfortunately. Okay. I know that's awful, but right. Like, I mean, I think that with the way that AI is coming, I think we need to have a very serious conversation about universal basic income that no one's ready to have yet. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, we should be having much more serious conversations about climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they just, I, I just read an article about how 2019 is the highest CO2 levels on record. And we're inching towards that point of no return where the amount of CO2 will create it, you know, too warm an environment for forests to thrive. And then the forests start shutting down and they're the things that can get rid of the CO2. And then there literally is no turning back. You know, there's very little else that worries me like that does, right? You know, in terms of thinking about my children's future on the planet. Um, I think that, you know, all of the political strife and all of this noise around who said what and who did this today, it's just noise. And those problems are so small in comparison. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we might need a crisis. It's awful, isn't it? I mean, I'm not going to dispute that, you know, and I think that it's, I think it's interesting also in the context of what we're experiencing domestically to think that, that you know, we haven't had a big kick in the butt yet. Right. But there, but there is, I mean, there are bigger, there are definitely bigger things that are happening. You it's know, the only way you can get the will, though, sometimes, I think, as a, as a big society to actually make the change that's necessary. But I worry about what, how big that crisis would need to be, you know? For sure. Yeah. Um, we're going to spin it right back. Because I'm just just to close it out. What what are you what are you excited about? You know, in the in the coming months and even maybe a year or two with Halcyon. Like, what are you looking forward to? Mm, there's some things that I can't quite talk about. Sure. Um, but I'll just sort of allude to the fact that we are um, both expanding the resources that we have on offer to the existing entrepreneurs, particularly those that are on the back end of Halcyon Incubator. So you might be able to guess what what a mechanism might be that we could do that. Um, the other thing that uh, we're doing is, is really examining a lot of really interesting opportunities to syndicate our IP uh, in other places around the world. So there's a lot of interest um, and, and desire for that. Um, Is your IP like the programming? In yeah, the all the stuff that we've developed about, like, you know, how do you do um, both an immersive program for entrepreneurs, but also a successful curricula for social entrepreneurs? Mm-hmm. And curricula is far too formal a term. But, sure. you know, all that stuff that we've developed along the way about, um, you know, how to how to create a successful social enterprise mm-hmm. when um, you know uh, it does require being diligent both on the impact front and on the profit side. So it's doubly hard, and you're going to have to double sell investors. You know, um, there's a, there's a lot there, right? So oh. um, you know, we started having these summer intensives last summer. We had a all women social entrepreneurs from Saudi Arabia, which was amazing, um, and we had. Um, uh, entrepreneurs from South Korea um, and there's there's a lot of other places in the world that are just very interested in 
some kind of, you know, franchise sure. of Halcyon's um, methodology, which is great. So yeah. we're just examining which opportunities are the right ones for us right now. Um, and then, uh, like I alluded to earlier, we started this cool festival, which is, you know, we're we called by the people and it is basically an arts and dialogue festival for DC focused on the themes of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And so our artists get to hang out alongside big name artists on the same slate and we fill the city with cool immersive experiences and visual arts installations and performances and and hopefully as we grow create, you know, a really good dialogue platform that our entrepreneurs can also take part in and it'll just wrap around Halcyon become the new South by slash Burning Man. Oh, in DC? <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. I'm, I mean, that would be way less expensive <laughs> to participate in. Exactly. You're right here. <laughs> yeah. That's know. great. Um, what is, do you, are you, do you have a platform that you're talking about the things that you're learning and working on or are you sort of, Halcyon is, is how do people follow along and what's going on? How do people check in? How do people learn more? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not great yet. And I, it's one of my sort of resolutions to be a little bit better about writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I love, I truly love, and I'm grateful for opportunities like this to kind of digest some of this stuff. Um, but we, you know, we also really try to feature our fellows. So Mm -hmm. we don't, you know, Halcyon is the support mechanism, right. And, and definitely trying to get our fellows work front and center is usually our biggest, um, focus. So what's the website? People follow on Thank social? you. It's, it's org and it's um, at Halcyon Inspires on Instagram. Great. Thank you so much. No, for thank you. This mind. was amazing. This was really fun. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Founder's Mind. Check back weekly for full episodes. If you like what you're hearing, sign up for The Founder's Mind Plus for two to four bonus episodes each month in addition to the full episodes and other dope benefits. Sign up for the Founders Mind Plus through the episode notes or by going to thefoundersmind.com and clicking the plus link. To make sure you don't miss any awesome wisdom from guests and stay up to date on the most recent episodes of the show, be sure to visit thefoundersmind.com. You can also follow along on social at the Founders Mind. Last but not least, thank you to Roy Matz for the music on this show and his dope editing skills that make the Founders Mind possible. Until next time, take care. In a world going through all of this insanity and try to bring new ideas make them a reality illuminate in the thoughts make it a priority to implement what you learn what you get is what you be in a world full of noise hard to find that clarity to try to lead subtly never full of vanity and try to change something small or try to change humanity power forward through the dark founders mind is what you see Mind is what you see. Founders' mind is what you see.